Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. Uh, the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. We're in this series called Blind Spots, and we've been talking about how we all have blind spots that we can't see. Uh, the truth about us is we don't know the full truth about us. That means we need to speak honest truth to each other if we're going to be able to grow. And last week, we talked about telling the last 10% to each other. Uh, we want to live in uh, transparent openness with each other and we want to speak the truth and love to each other but a lot of times the truth is we don't quite feel ready to do that uh, it feels kind of daunting or intimidating so today we're going to look at the truth about being ready uh, the truth about you being ready to obey god now the truth about being ready is you'll never feel really ready uh, this is a real problem in life uh, when our first child was born uh, we took her home from the hospital with uh, very little knowledge about what to do with the baby uh, so my wife kathy started to freak out a little bit uh, she had all these questions you know what if she gets sick and we don't know what to do uh, what if uh, nursing doesn't work like i wanted to uh, what if one of us drops her on her head what if we discipline her too much what if we discipline her too little what if we're too emotionally unhealthy? Like, what if we mess her up her whole life long? I finally just said to Kathy, you know, we can always have more children. <laughs> just about every parent I've ever known has this sensation when they get this baby home, they find themselves saying, you know, I'm not ready for this. I, I thought I was, but I'm just not ready. Then the child grows up and it's time for that child to leave home and face the world but the world is scary and complex and expensive and the child says i don't think i'm ready for this and the parent says oh yes you are ready or not it's coming like this is not to excuse poor preparation god wants us to try to equip ourselves and be educated as best we can and prepare but it's just reality life opportunities, challenges, relationships, commitments, eventually aging, and ultimately death, all kind of have a way of saying, ready or not, here I come. This is your moment. Like, this is your one and only life. We all face this problem. You see, the truth about you is when it comes to being ready, you'll never be ready for the most important, most daunting parts of your life. The truth about Jesus is Jesus actually uses people who say yes, even when they don't feel ready. This is true throughout the Bible. There's a, a fabulous story about not being ready, but going at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And I want to read that right now. So after Jesus has been crucified, after his resurrection, he's going to send the disciples out. This is what Matthew writes. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. 
Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So he gives them this remarkable assignment. It's a commission. Uh, It's sometimes called the Great Commission because it's so comprehensive. He says, all authority has been given to me. And you know, he keeps using this word, all. So you go and make disciples of all the nations, all people, baptizing them in the the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the things that I have commanded you and to become truly great people as I have instructed you. And I will be with you all the time, all the days to the end of the age. This is really a big commission, but it's to people who are not ready to go. The first little indicator we have of that is the word 11. Now, that word would jump out at people reading this text in that day. Uh, You may know that the ancient world was fascinated by numbers. They would often associate certain meanings with uh, certain numbers, like the number three was associated with holiness. Uh, The temple was divided up into thirds. The holy of holies, the holiest place, was one-third of the temple. The holy place uh, was two-thirds of the temple. The great blessing of God was holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, three times. The number three was connected to the notion of the holiness of God. The number four was associated with the earth and with uh, physical creation. Uh, There are four directions, north, south, east, and west. There are uh, four dimensions, height, width, length, and breadth. And there are four corners of the world. So the product of these two, like three times four, was associated with the union of the holy, the divine, and human. So God and people, heaven and earth, So it was a revered number. There were 12 loaves of bread in the temple. There were 12 gems in the priest's vestment. Uh, 12 was often a number for uh, wholeness in the ancient world. The lunar calendar had 12 months. Uh, That was when something was complete. Uh, For Israel, 12 especially meant the tribes of Israel, uh, the whole family, everyone. By Jesus' day, This was all broken. It was all wrong. Uh, Centuries earlier, about 722 BC, Assyria came and decimated the northern kingdom. So all that was left uh, were the tribes of Benjamin, Judah, and about a half of the tribe of Levi. Uh, They were not the 12 tribes anymore. They longed, you know, they, they ached, they grieved for the day when God would set things right and restore the 12 tribes. And then Jesus comes and he says, The kingdom of God is at hand. God is at work. God is setting things right. And then Jesus selected some disciples. Back in his day, all rabbis had disciples. Uh, Jesus was the only one we know of who actually recruited, who chose disciples. I mean, this was generally beneath uh, a rabbi's dignity. Rabbis uh, generally accepted applications. Jesus was unique in this respect. He went out and he selected disciples. Do you know how many disciples Jesus chose? 
12. And this is not a coincidence. It's not an accident. Like no other rabbi had 12 disciples. Like all of the rabbis had disciples. No other rabbi we know of had 12 disciples. No one would have. It would have been too uh, presumptuous. When Jesus chose 12 disciples, he was making a claim. And it was a real clear claim. And it was a very dangerous claim. It's actually part of what got him killed. He was saying to all of Israel, uh, he was saying to Rome for that matter, that what God began so long ago with the 12 sons of Jacob, with the 12 tribes that had been lost, that had been broken, that everyone ached for God to restore, now God is beginning again. Now God is redeeming and recreating through Jesus. Like this is one of the most audacious acts of Jesus's whole ministry. So number 12, he chooses 12 disciples. He says, take a look at these 12 guys. These are the 12 tribes. This is the whole people of God, God's redeemed community on earth. God's dream is beginning again with me and these 12 guys. That's why you see 12 all throughout the New Testament. By the time you hit Revelation, 12 is everywhere. Uh, the city we look forward to as a, a picture of when life is finally redeemed will have 12 gates, one for every tribe. They'll be made of 12 pearls. Uh, if you've ever heard of the, uh, the term, the pearly gates, it comes from the book of Revelation. Its walls will be set on 12 foundations. Uh, they will be guarded by 12 angels. Uh, it will be a perfect safety and perfectly inclusive. They will be fed by a tree of life that bears 12 kinds of fruit in each one of the 12 months. Uh, there will be great abundance, like no need in that community. It'll be filled with people, uh, 144,000 people. Again, that's a symbolic number, 12 times 12,000. Every tribe filled up. They loved 12. Israel loved 12. They couldn't wait for 12. That's why the disciples loved being the 12. It was like, we're it. Individually, they didn't look like much. There was Peter, the denier, Judas, the betrayer, Thomas, the doubter. Individually, they didn't look like much. Individually, they looked more like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. But together, they were the 12. They loved being the 12. That's why they argued about who is the greatest. Like, we're the 12. It's starting again with us. Now, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, there's the crucifixion and the resurrection, and Jesus is going to send the disciples out, but Matthew says there are only 11. In other words, they're not whole anymore. They're not perfect anymore. This is a wrong number. There are not enough. It's not just that they're the wrong number. Matthew goes on to say, when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him. And then the next phrase is, but some doubted. It's an amazing statement. After Jesus was crucified and rose from the grave, Matthew doesn't try to hide that at all. So now they have not only a quantity problem, they have a quality problem. They don't have enough disciples and the ones that they have don't believe enough. They worship and they doubt. Imagine that moment. Jesus meets them on the mountain. Uh, that's where everything begins in Galilee. They see the crucified, resurrected Lord of the universe. Like, 
Hail Jesus, crucified and resurrected Son of God, creator, redeemer of the earth. Oh, come, let us adore him. Yet in their hearts, they're saying, maybe, really? Like, it seems kind of crazy. I'm not sure I believe it, to tell you the truth. 11, not 12. They worship, but some doubted. That's the group to whom Jesus is going to say, go into all the world. Uh, Dale Bruner, who is a great New, Test- New Testament scholar, he writes this, the number 11 limps is not perfect like 12. The church that Jesus sends into the world is 11-ish, imperfect, fallible, and I would say inadequate. Jesus did not say, first, let's get enough numbers. He didn't say, first, let's get enough faith. He said, you go. And we'll work on the numbers thing and we'll work on the faith thing while you're doing the obedience thing. You'll learn as you go, but I'm going to send you out, ready or not. It's really interesting. As I began to think about this story this week, I realized the truth is this is not just true of the disciples. I mean, this is a theme throughout the Bible. In the Bible, when God calls someone to do something, as far as I know, no one ever responds by saying, I'm ready. You know, good timing. You came to me at just the right moment when I'm like totally filled up and I'm adequately prepared. Like over and over again, God says to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Moses says, really, Lord? Like I've never been eloquent. I'm slow of speech. I can't find the words to speak. God comes to Gideon and says, I want you to liberate my people. Gideon says, but Lord, how can I save Israel? Uh, My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. God says to Abraham, I want to begin a new community in you. Abraham says, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? I mean, there's like no pharmaceutical help involved here at all. I don't think so. God comes to Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, "Uh, sovereign Lord, I'm only a child. I don't think so. Again, there's this mixture of worship and doubt like sovereign lord that's great worship but i don't think so i'm only a child i doubt it god comes to isaiah isaiah says woe is me for i am a man of unclean lips and i dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips esther is called to work for her people she says for any man or woman who approaches the king not summoned and that was what she was called to do The king has but one rule, death. I don't think so. Jesus calls a wealthy young ruler whom he loves to follow him, but we're told that the rich young ruler went away very sad because he had great wealth. Ruth was, uh, she has this moment to enter into this divine story, only with Ruth, it's the opposite. There's this great famine going on. She has nothing. Saul, the very first king of Israel, He was told by the prophet Samuel that he was going to be made king. He stands head and shoulders above everyone else. He says, I can't do it. I'm the least of my own tribe. When it's the day when Samuel is going to anoint Saul, like this is the the coronation day for Israel's first king ever. Everyone gathers together, but they can't find Saul. Samuel was going to anoint him the king and they can't find him. Like they ask if he's present and the Lord says, yes, He's hidden hidden himself among the baggage. Like too inarticulate, too weak, too old, too young, 
too sinful, too dangerous, too rich, too poor, too much baggage. No one ever says, okay, Lord, I feel ready. Here's the thing. God loves using people who are not ready. God loves it, ready or not. When people say, God, I trust you, the issue of feeling ready is not the primary indicator of being ready. But if you don't go, man, you'll never know. If you don't go, you will never know. God comes and says, and Jesus still does this to us all the time, every day. Take a risk, would you? Would you love someone? Would you connect with someone? Would you share what you have? Would you serve? Would you volunteer? Would you take a risk? Would you try? The truth about you is you'll always have a reason to say, not ready. Because for us, ready is to be so completely self-sufficient that success is almost guaranteed. The truth about you is you don't know what you can do until you actually do it. The truth about you is if you wait until you feel fully ready, you'll wait until you die. Only God knows if you're ready and God knows more than you do. 11-ish, doubting, Jesus says, go. Jesus doesn't say, go, you're ready. Jesus says, go, because all authority has been given to me. Therefore, I'm sending you out and I will be with you. I will be with you. That's the reason why you go. All right, we'll talk more about this in just a moment. Did you watch the Oscars this year? I have to admit, one of my guilty pleasures is watching award shows. So you know I sat down for the three hours and watched the Oscar celebration. An interesting thing was evident this year. This year was all about the underdog. You see this in the films that were up for nominations. Uh, the nominations for Best Picture included films like Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, a story about an unlikely hero thrust into an interdimensional reality, and the film Elvis, the story of a young, impoverished man who, through talent and direction, became a superstar, and of course Top Gun, which showed the sad reality of a man who just couldn't give up his day job. Okay, maybe Top Gun isn't an underdog story, but Tom Cruise really should consider letting someone else be the hero. And not only were the films about underdogs, but the people who won this year could be described as people who carry narratives that reflect this underdog story. This award season, three underdogs emerged as victorious. Brendan Fraser, who won Best Actor, started his career in 1991 and was heralded for roles in the films like George of the Jungle and The Mummy. And he talked about how he found acting and the business exceedingly difficult. In fact, he was going to give up on acting when he found the script for his film, The Whale. Kehi Kwan, who won for the Best Supporting Actor, started in roles when he was a child but was sidelined for his adult life. In fact, he worked more behind the lens until this role in Everything Everywhere All at Once. And of course, you can't talk about underdogs without talking about Michelle Yeoh, who, after decades of acting, won for Best Actress, becoming the first Asian to win the award. The Oscars celebrated underdogs, and we do the same. We love an underdog story of celebrating pursuit and victory, and we love it until we find ourselves as the main characters. The disciples had followed Jesus for his years of ministry. They saw miracles and heard sermons. They saw crowds grow, and they saw lives changed. 
They had a firsthand experience of the power of Jesus, and yet we find them in this story living in a perception of being underdogs. As Matt said, they represented a group that was in their minds incomplete. They were weak and vulnerable. They were underdogs. And even though they knew God's power and glory, when you name yourself the underdog, it's hard to see a way out. We see it in others, but we're blocked when we align the underdog story with ours. And the funny thing about God is that God perpetually sees us as something else. We see ourselves as babbling, stupid idiots, and God sees us as people who can lead the Israelites out of Egypt. We see ourselves as weak shepherds, and God sees us as someone who can slay a giant. We see ourselves as fishers, and God sees us as disciples. So friends, if you find yourself in this underdog category, remember that God sees you and us differently. And that our calling reflects not what self-narrative, what blind spots we impose, our calling reflects God's power and God's strengths. The disciples learn this, and that is what Matt is going to cover as we continue to figure out what our blind spots are and how God interacts in the midst of our perceived blind underdog life. Let's rejoin Matt. Years ago, I was invited to be a guest teacher on a retreat that was on the Colorado River near Lake Havasu. A friend of mine took me out for a hike one morning up a hill to a a beautiful cliff diving spot on the river. Um, I didn't know this until we actually got to the top. And I stood there on the edge of that cliff looking down. And he asked me, are you ready? Do you want to know what my response was in that moment? Like, no, I am not ready. Like, I am very clear about this. I am not ready. Here was the problem. This was the only way for us to get down to the river, unless I wanted to uh, hike back down in shame by myself. So at one point he told me, you know, Matt, you can stare at the river all day. At some point, you're going to have to say, ready or not, I'm jumping. And so that's what he said before he dove into the river. He said, ready or not, here I go. And he did this beautiful swan dive that made it look like he was flying through the air for a really long time before hitting the water below. Now, I was on the side of the cliff by myself, trying to kind of psych myself up into jumping, and I could not do it. And so I said it, ready or not, here I go, and trembling in fear, I jumped in. Jesus, he takes his friends up a mountain one time, and they're staring off a cliff. Then there are not enough of them. The ones who are there don't have enough faith. It doesn't matter. The reason is not that they're ready. The reason is Jesus is ready. Because when you go, you have to go even though you don't feel ready. You have to risk. You have to try. You have to share. You have to give. You have to connect. You have to trust. The reason you do it is not because you feel ready. It's because you won't be alone. See, we are 11-ish. We always are. I was thinking about this. Uh, There are a number of football stadiums around the world and American football stadiums as well where the fans are known as the 12th man. Uh, The Seattle Seahawks fans are known in their home field as the 12th man. A number of football teams around the world have retired the number 12 because they say it belongs to their fans. Uh, These stadiums set records 
for how loud their fans can be. The Kansas City Chiefs Arrowhead Stadium holds the Guinness World Record for loudest outdoor stadium, reaching 142 decibels at a game in 2014. 100 decibels of sound will create hearing loss. 130 decibels is like being within a football field of a jet taking off. They cranked it up to 142 decibels. Now you can see why fans are considered the 12th man. I mean, they actually contribute to the outcome of the game by preventing the opposing team from hearing each other on the field. That's why some teams put up flags in their stadium to honor the 12th man. Well, Jesus says, don't worry about 11. You're forgetting the 12th man. It's me. I will be with you. You see, Jesus goes with you. Like when you go, when you trust, when you try, you don't go alone. You're never alone. He makes this very clear. He says, I will be with you always. Literally, he says, all of the days, every single day from now till the end of your life, till the end of time, not just most days, not just good days, not just days when you've had your devotions and you've prayed enough and you're feeling spiritual or you remember or you're aware of it. He says, all of the days, you may have a bad hair day, you may have a bad mood day, you may have a bad news day, you may have a bad day at the office, you never have a bad Jesus day. You may wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you never wake up on the wrong side of Jesus. Sometimes people go to church and they read the Bible and they affirm the right stuff, they pray now and then. Jesus calls them to just obey, just go, just trust me in something, risk, serve, love, confess, step into the light, connect with someone instead of isolating, bless someone instead of withholding, engage with someone, learn, pray, ask, sacrifice, try. Here's what's interesting about us. This is the truth about us very often. We don't say not ever. We just say not yet. You know, we say, you know, sometime, but not yet. So here's the question you need to wrestle with today. What's the one area of your life where you've been saying not yet to God, where today you need to say yes? That could be really small. It doesn't matter whether it's big or small. Jesus always gathers his friends and says, now I want you to go. 11-ish, I know. Worshiping and doubting, I know. I get it. But go. Where is some area where you've been saying, not yet? And today, you could say to God, all right, yes, I'll go. Maybe it's in your financial life. You know, I talked to a young guy about money, and it was so interesting. You know, this is so uh, seductive where we live. This is basically what he said to me. He said, you know, I don't really have anything right now. I'm young. I'm getting my career established. I'm going to use these years to make a lot of money. I'm going to accumulate a real impressive pile of assets. Then when I'm wealthy, when I have a lot, then I'm going to be really generous. Now, here's the truth. Again, we've been looking at self-deception in this series, how uh, deceptive we are about ourselves. He's giving himself credit for being generous and philanthropic while he's actually hoarding his money because he wants to be rich and successful. But he sees himself as being really generous. We do this kind of thing. 
will judge other people based on their outward behavior, but I judge myself on my noblest inward intentions, whether or not they ever get realized. I think to myself, I'm pro-generosity. I can just picture myself being incredibly generous, therefore I am generous. See, he doesn't say not ever to God. He just says not yet. In his mind, not yet actually equals yes. And I have to tell you, I've yet to see a life of obedience to Jesus built on self-excused real-time disobedience. I've never seen that. Maybe what God is saying is, in whatever way, just start giving something. Ready or not, here we go. Maybe it's serving. I don't know if you know how many volunteers it takes for us to function as a church from week to week. It takes 210 volunteers serving in this church to make us the church we are. And that doesn't include the volunteers it takes to run an event like Night to Shine. Like we could not be the church without volunteers. And we're going to need more volunteers when we move into our new building this year. Maybe God is saying to you in this area of serving, ready or not, here we go. Just jump in and start serving somewhere. You know, Jesus gathered the 11, wrong number, doubters, wrong faith, and said, I want you to go to the people around you and help them become disciples. Help them meet me. I want you to be bold in this. I want you to baptize them. And maybe you've been saying, not yet. Like around this one, you know, like not yet. So often people feel like when it comes to talking to other people about their faith, about Jesus, about God, you know, I'm not ready. I'm not trained. I couldn't answer every question. You don't have to. Just pray for someone. Just bless someone. Just help someone take one step toward God. Just extend one invitation. I talked to someone in our church this week. He had a neighbor who for years was just resistant to God, not interested in faith, not interested in church. Finally, he just decided to invite him to watch our church services online. And he watched our entire series of Daniel. And he's planning on coming to our in-person service on Easter Sunday for the first time. Maybe an entry point for someone you know would be to serve the unhoused community with Lisa and our compassion ministry team. Maybe you know someone who's not interested in God right now, but they have a heart to serve. We'll invite them to serve with you on one of our compassion ministry projects. You know what I hear from people who are not interested in God, but they serve with us through our compassion ministry? Usually the sentiment is, you know, this is totally different than what I thought church people would be like. This is just a bunch of people who want to help each other. Jesus gathered the 11, wrong number, wrong faith, and he said, I want you to help each other find and know me, to meet me, to become my disciples. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, I want you to help them to actually go public, to put a stake in the ground, to say, I want the whole world to know. And I have to say, there is nothing like this when it happens. It may be you're a follower of Jesus, and you've never taken this step. Like you've never publicly declared your faith by being baptized. And if you make a decision and you say yes to Jesus and you want to tell your story, would you just send me an email 
at matt at blueoaks.church. I'd love for our church to hear your story and celebrate with you. All right, let me pray for you. God, I pray that you would help us, give us the, uh, the strength and the courage to take risks, uh, to like, well, like when I was standing on that cliff that day, to take that risk and just go wherever it is that you're calling us to go, do, to do whatever it is that you're calling us to do. It might seem scary, but help us to remember the promise that you give us in Matthew 28, that you will be with us wherever we go. And you're going to call us to do things that are going to scare us, but you're going to be with us. You're going to give us the, the wisdom and the strength and the, the gifting to actually do what you're calling us to do. So God, help us to be bold. Help us to, to take risks. Help us to move forward and do the things that it's just so clear that your Holy Spirit is prompting us to do. And I pray that we would uh, find the joy and uh, a meaning and purpose in those things that's beyond what we could ever think or imagine. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.